Today's sermon text is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. After I read, I will then pray for us. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with the prop- but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and with self-control. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness in bringing us, bringing us your word, Lord, and how you are faithful to allow your word to affect our hearts and change our hearts, Lord, towards you, Lord. We pray that this morning that as Cody brings your word, Lord, that the same would happen, that your word will be brought to us and that our hearts will receive your word and that our hearts and minds will be changed, Lord. We, uh, we pray that, um, this time would be a time where we truly reflect on what your word says, not what the culture says or what we feel is right, Lord, but what the word says, Lord, and how it addresses man and woman, Lord. We pray that through your word this morning that we would see accurately with the view, the lens of the gospel, Lord, how we should view this text, Lord, through what you have called us to understand, Lord. We praise you and thank you for what you're doing here, Lord, and we pray that this morning would be for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you were, um, if you're visiting this morning, uh, and you've just heard the sermon text read, you're probably wondering why in the world are they choosing to preach on that passage? <laughs> this is a, a hard one. Uh, it's a difficult to understand. Uh, but the way uh, we do here at FCF is we believe that, that God orchestrated the 66 books of the Bible in such a way that they have a logical flow from verse 1 of each of the books all the way to the to the last verse of each of the books. And so what we want to do is is getting in line with how God authorized his word is to take uh, the scripture verse by verse to better understand it. These are letters, especially Paul's letters. These are letters, and and you don't just uh, take two sentences out of a three-page letter and 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 be able to understand it unless you read the whole letter and gain context. So even this morning, as Kevin read for us, he read eight through fifteen. Now I'm going to only preach on eleven through fifteen. Uh, but we read 8 through 15 in order to help us just remind ourselves of where we've come from and the context that we're in. Now, one of the questions that I think oftentimes arises in today's uh, world, especially as it applies to church, is, is really what does a pastor do? Why do you hire pastors and, and what do you pay them to actually do? Well, It sort of depends upon how you're looking at scripture. But if we look at scripture long enough, what we're going to recognize is you don't pay a pastor to tell you all the things that you want him to say. Now, that's sometimes why we pay a pastor is we like talking heads. But you didn't hire me to be a talking head. What you hired me to do is to faithfully, lovingly 
sinfully, faultingly, fearfully, but hopefully by the grace of God, desiring to be faithful to shepherd you. And part of that shepherding means that I have to say things that not everybody likes. Why? Because it's not about whether you like me or I like you. It's about whether or not we're in accordance with the truth of God's word. Therefore, a pastor's job primarily is to stand for truth, even in the face of what seemingly is great opposition. So when I approach this passage as a young man, I can guarantee you everything in me screams, take the teeth out of the passage. Why? Because if I was in Austin this morning, if I was in Dallas this morning, if I was in Houston this morning, and this church wasn't 65 people sitting here, but 6,500 people sitting here, there would be multiple hundreds of people standing out front of the door screaming obscenities at me as I preach the truth of God's word. Nobody likes this passage in our culture today. And therefore, as a man subject to all of the fall of humanity, who is a man who desires the approval of men, yes, certainly I want to take the teeth out of this. But the only result if I do that is then Mark 7, I just made null and void the word of God. You wasted your time. Go home, watch the Super Bowl. Don't sit here. So what do I have to do? I preach the truth of God's word. And I trust that because it's God's word, though it may be difficult, it will be helpful for us. So, as we approach this passage, there are questions that immediately jump to our mind. How do we apply this passage in the church? How do we apply this passage in the home? How do we apply this passage in the city gate? And the answers are not clear and I in no way can give you them. In fact, I believe probably every single one of us following the preaching of this word is going to have more questions about this passage than you will have answers when you first walked in. But I trust that we will have at least the context to begin to approach our questions. You see, as it, as it, as it, as we look at the world that is around us, as we, as we think of all that's going on in, in terms of sexual ethics, whether it's abortion or homosexuality or whatever it might be, feminism, um, male dominance, all this stuff that's out there and you can read it all the time all over the news. As the church, and we desire to apply God's word to all the corruption that goes about these things, I sort of feel like what we're oftentimes trying to do is patch a leaky roof. When actually the problem is not the roof. The problem is, there are few studs actually holding the roof up. And what needs to happen is a complete wiping of the foundation and a restarting and how we biblically think about this. Now, when my house was remodeled, my desire... And yes, that was a snicker from one person that helped with this home. My house, when it was remodeled, the desire was to simply jack up one corner of my kitchen... Except that as we began to make the uh, the necessary plans to jack up that corner of the kitchen and we removed this and we removed that, we found out the wall we were trying to jack up wasn't going to go anywhere when we began to put a jack to it. Why? Because it was about 15 feet long and there was three to four studs that actually went from floor plate to top. So I could we could push all day long and it wasn't going to affect the house. 
what needed to happen was a reconstruction of the system in order for the efforts we were putting in to actually work. And in many ways, as we approach this passage, we have to go back to, are we thinking correctly about it, or are we trying to just simply patch the leaky roof, when actually what needs to happen is a reconstruction of the way we think about things. And that's in many ways what we need to do as we approach 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, is go back to how to actually think about the way God has created men and women. Now, Kevin has read for us, and we have the context here, starting all the way in chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, of Paul addressing the church and how it is to be ordered and what is to actually happen. And certainly starting next week, we're really going to get into that as he begins to give for us the roles of how and who should lead in the church in chapter 3. But before he does that, he gets to this this, this text here in verse 11, where he's exhorting Timothy to remember, Adam was the first to be created, therefore is to be in authority, and the woman is to be in subjection because she was created after Adam within the church. In fact, if we want to summarize these three or four verses into one sentence, I think it would be this. That the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen clearly in not only the roles of men and women, but in the difference between men and women. Not only in the roles of men and women, but in the difference between men and women. And it is that precisely the difference between men and women where we have oftentimes gone wrong in our thinking. Now before we get into that, let's look at the passage a little more closely. If you're, and I trust you are, looking at your Bible, you'll see what Paul is doing here. Follow his logic, it's very important. In verse 11 and 12, he's giving two statements. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Stop. Next statement. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Stop. Then he gives two reasons for why he gives those two statements. That's verse 13 and 14. Reason number one. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Reason number two. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And then he concludes in verse 15 with a hope for women and even yet for men as well in verse 15. So if we follow Paul's logic, what we're going to do this morning in our study is start with verse 13 and 14. It's the foundation for which he gives two reasons of how women are to conduct themselves within the worship service. So if you're taking notes this morning, point number one will be the order of creation and the order of the fall. The order of creation and the order of the fall. We'll then look at verse 11 and 12, and then we'll conclude with verse 15. Point number one, the order of creation and the fall, verse 13 and 14. Now notice what Paul is doing here. Adam was formed first, then Eve. He's appealing to the created order. So, what we have to do, and we do it right even now, and I trust you'll turn with me, we have to turn over to the book of Genesis, because that's getting back to what Paul is referring to, the actual created order of Adam and Eve. Let's go there, Genesis chapter 1. We see in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, the creation of man. 
the creation of man. Now, Genesis 2 is a zoomed-in version of Genesis 1. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But let's start with verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us, meaning God, make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now turn your Bible one page over. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We get the zoomed in version and we recognize that God created Adam first. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. Well, then we know that Eve was created second. We see that in verse 18 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Looking at verse 21 of Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, Adam first Eve second. That's fairly easy to see. What we need to also understand though, is when we say, which we should, that God created male and female in the image of God he created them, what is a true statement is that every man and woman has dignity, worth, and value in the eyes of God because he has placed his image upon both man and woman. However, what we cannot say is that men and women are equal. We cannot say that. Because God did not create them the same. Men are different than women. Women are different than men. And oftentimes, where we are going wrong in thinking about these things is we're thinking about roles, but less about actually the fact that God created man to be different than woman and woman to be different than man. And the way he created them is what is the the root of those roles. So for instance, he took man and he put him in the garden, Genesis 2, to work it and keep it. God physiologically, biologically created man to do the work of the garden in a way he did not create women. So men have muscles and and a harder tone to be able to do the heavy lifting of things. Men are, are, are physiologically made up to, and, uh, and the kind of the crudeness to leave the cave, go kill something and drag it back in. Right? We're created to work. Right? Our hands are, 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 are built to do things that are work. Now, does that mean that if you're, uh, someone who 
works on the computer all day, you're in a defile, uh, you're denying the way God... No, 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 of course not. But he's made you to work. In ways he did not make women to work. For instance, we look over in verse 18. We recognize that God physiologically, biologically created the woman first to be fit to the man. And we will see soon in Genesis 3 that this woman would be called Eve because she was the mother of all living. So God created man to do this work and to be a man who would lay down his life for the woman and protect her and lead her and all of these things, which we'll see in the gospel in a few moments. And he created woman, physiologically, even biologically, to give life and nurture it. Now you can begin to see how we have gone completely south and across our culture and even in churches and how we think about these things. Because if man is created differently than woman, and man is created in, in a sense for conflict, and, and, and we engage in conflict men in protection of the woman that God has given us in order that they might give life and nurture it. We begin to go south when we trot the woman out to do the work of conflict spiritually. So let's have the woman preach in the pulpit. Right? That's the, that's the fall of humanity. Men don't want to take responsibility. Men don't want to lead. Certainly men don't really want to have to step up. And so, yes, this woman's more capable. She knows the word better than I do. Let's kick her into the pulpit. She'll do a better job than we do anyway. And we force her into conflict. So we can patch the leaky roof. But we have to go back to actually thinking about how God has actually created us. And the physiological makeup. Now, the, the, the implications of this created order just continue to fall down the line. So let me, let me take an axe to another tree here. You cannot say biblically that you're complementarian. You cannot say biblically that you're complementarian. There's only two routes to go as it pertains to God's roles of men and women. Whether it's the church, the city gate, or the home. Route number one. Sin and the, the fall into sin and woman's desire is against the husband. And therefore we get into egalitarianism. Women rule. Does that mean they, they, have the, they don't have ability? No, trust me. There are many women who are way more capable of leading than men. But that's not the way God created it. And so women rule. And again, the fall of man, we want to abdicate our responsibility. We don't want to step up and protect our wives as Adam did not his wife Eve. And so we just let the woman go. And she runs the home. And she runs the church. And she runs the business. And she does all of these things. And God forbid a man would ever step up and actually be the provider and protector and the leader and and all of these things in the home because... Boy, she's going to get mad and nobody wants that. The only other route to go is the biblical route. Well, what is the biblical route? 
Well, we know from Ephesians 3, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And if you go to the Greek, it's from every, from the Father, every father gets its name. So men, whether you're, whether you're Brendan's age, my son's four-year-old age, all the way up to, to, to an older man, men, are men, and we have the name male, and we have uh, maleness in our DNA, and we, we are fathers because of the father of fathers. He created us first, and, and therefore we have that picture of us first. So therefore, 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so the only other route to go besides egalitarianism is patriarchy. And all that means is father rule. Fathers rule. Why do we rule? Because the father of fathers rules everything. And every father who gets his name because of God the Father is to rule as well. Not the way we want to. We cannot rule tyrannically. And so we get this bad view of patriarchy because what a father does in his sin is to say, well, then I can beat my chest, tell anybody what they want to do. No, that's tyranny. That's not fatherhood. A father who's going to imitate God the Father is going to conduct himself as the head of his home as God the Father should. Lovingly, kindly, tenderly, living with his wife in an understanding way, washing her, caring for her, loving her, Laying down his life for her. Leading her. That's not tyranny. That's love. Because that's exactly what Christ did for us. So what do we do? Well, in our rebellion, the church trots out complementarianism. Why? Because we fear the masses screaming at us to say, how could you? So we trot out the word complementarian. Well, let's just think about that for a moment. Do I, does my wife compliment me? Anybody who's seen my wife? Yes. She's lovely to my less loveliness. Okay? She's soft to my hardness. She's kind to my gruffness. Right? She's tender. She's agreeable to my less agreeableness. This is just the way God has made us. So she's a hundred percent a compliment to me. Even the way God has physiologically made her is a complement to the physiological structure of my body. That's wonderful. But that doesn't answer the question of roles and authority. Because then when we get to a decision, if she's just complimenting me, is that like a 50-50 partnership in a business? No. Somebody has to take the lead. Somebody has to be the final say. What does scripture say? The father has that responsibility. So we trot out this word complementarian and actually it's just a rebellion of our own sinful hearts that says we don't really want to dodge the truth of scripture. We do want to dodge the truth of scripture. We want to kind of manipulate it. We're just changing words. That doesn't help. Let us proclaim with great delight the fact that God rules over all things and therefore men are to rule in like kind. And things start changing. Now, I can immediately anticipate every woman in here thinking, yes, 
My man's being called on the table for his laziness, right? My man is, he's just getting whacked. He's got to be responsible. He's got to be loving and kind and not tyrannical and man alive. Yes, I love this sermon. But ladies, understand the fall on your side. Genesis 3 tells us in verse 16 that your you will be opposed to your husband even as he begins to seek to follow the created order of how God designed him. So when your husband, who is seeking to be like the father of fathers, walks into your home and says, Honey, no, you can't wear that. Honey, we, we, are, I, we are going to make love. And in our making love, we're going to give God the ability to bring about a godly seed. Honey, we're going to eat non-organic oranges with thanks instead of organic oranges. Women freak. We do. You do. Ah, no. What your husband's seeking to do is to be responsible for what's happening in the home. And he's not doing it perfectly, but he's seeking to do that. So we have to be really careful. And then women, what you're, you're called in, here in, in Timothy as well to, to, to do these things with submissiveness. But do you see how if we begin to get back to not only the created order, but how God created us, when we get back to 1 Timothy 2, a lot of the answers are already, questions are already answered. Well, of course in the church, these things should be ordered as God created them. Even the Bible. Even the Bible is full of, of male-dominated language. And, and so the world says, oh man, such, such tyrannical language and you want to push women down. No, if you read the Bible and all the male-dominated language in it, all the Bible's doing is just continually putting responsibility upon men. It's not easy to read the Bible as a man because it's just laid at your feet that you're a failure. And then every once in a while, like in 1 Timothy 2... There's a little bit of a zoom in on women. And then he zooms right back out. Go to Genesis, uh, 1 Timothy 3. It's all men. Why? Because we're as men to be a picture of the father of fathers. And so the responsibility of Adam's race, male language, is upon men. And even the, 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 the translators today of, of the Bible that you actually hold in your hand from the pew in front of you. If you look on the left side of your page in 1 Timothy 2, it says brothers and sisters. And every Bible nowadays is going to and pulling out the maleness of scripture. Why? Because we're in rebellion against God's created order and how he designed us. And we have got to go back to scripture. Well, let's go back to over to 1 Timothy 2. And if there's any one still listening and hasn't already started their car with the automatic start and prepared to run out the door. Let's look at the application of the order within the church. Point number two, the application of order within the church. Verse 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Well, by this time, it should be a no-brainer. That if our creation order is right, if our roles springing from the created order and the uniqueness of creation is right, then all the places, then of all places, the church, which is to be the pillar and buttress of truth, 1 Timothy 3.15, is to be the guardian of the gospel. That is, the way in which the sinful man comes into right relationship with the holy God. Then, of course, the roles of the church 
as it regards men and women, should imitate the created order. So men are to lead. And women are to, as they were fit and made, and are to be submissive to the leadership there. Why? Because not only in the created order, but actually in it, the, the way he created us, there is the, the strain, there is the beauty, the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've already said it. Christ laid down his life to allow the church, to allow his bride to bear life and nurture it. That's Ephesians 5. That's what he, that's what he has to. And he didn't do it when the, when you, the bride, were lovely and had it all together and were submissive. No, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died. The husband laid down his life for the bride. And so therefore we, we, we must get these things ordered correctly because the gospel picture is at stake here. Now, everything I've said this morning, does it answer every one of your questions? No, it doesn't. It answers some of the big ones though in terms of of, of what should happen within a church. It doesn't answer the nuances of the church. For instance, you could, you could call up 1 Corinthians 14, let the women be silent in the church. Does this passage answer what that means and how we make application? No, no, it doesn't. But it does force us to to go to the Bible and ask, how do the way God designed men and the way God designed women work themselves out on that? And now we've got to look at the Bible more carefully and we see maybe 1 Corinthians 14 talking about prophecy. So then we ask, well, is it okay for women to speak in a members meeting? Is it okay for a woman to pray from this pulpit for our church, a prayer of thanksgiving? Is it okay for a woman to read scripture as Kevin did? We have to wrestle with these things. And we may find that those things are permissible. We may find that they're not. But we have to go to scripture. Then the question might be, well, what about the home? I get it when the Christian as married to a, another Christian, but what about the non-Christian home? What about what about the unequally yoked home, Christian with a, a non-Christian? What about a single mother? What about a home that has a disabled father? There's so many nuances to these things. But we have to approach them with the understanding of the created order and the uniqueness of creation. Well, what about the city square? What about, can a woman be a politician? She, can she be a lawyer? Can she be a professor? Can she be a CEO? Every one of these questions have nuances to it. But for instance, let's just take CEO for example. I don't know. But but if we go back to created order, you have to realize that if you have a woman who is your boss, you can't treat her as a man. She's a woman. Therefore, you treat her as a woman. And we have an example in Genesis 39 and 40 of a man who was employed by someone who was a woman. And he, because of her womanliness, had to quit his job quickly. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The, the fact that she was a woman and he was a man got into the midst of their work relationship to the point that the work relationship had to come to a very quick end. So does that answer what you should do? No, it doesn't. But it does point us to we have to deal with these things as God sees the fact that men and women are different. Now, let's conclude here with verse 15. Point number three, but still saved, but still saved. 
Genesis 3.15 offers in the midst of the curse of uh, the, the serpent and the, the curse of the woman a great hope. You notice there in the Genesis 3 verse 16, the curse of the woman is first, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. And the second of all, your desire shall be, it says in the ESV, for your husband. If you look a little closer, it's actually your desire shall be against your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, how are we to, to derive hope from verse 15? Well, let's just take a step back here and look at what Paul is doing. Paul, in verse 14, the second reason why why he's stating women should learn quietly with all submissiveness and not teach or exercise authority is because the Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, what he's not saying is that man was, Adam wasn't deceived as well. Certainly he was. He was tempted as Eve was. He abdicated his responsibility to protect his wife. He was deceived as well. But the first one deceived, the very first one that was deceived was Eve. So, so in, in a sense, Paul, by just stating this, has laid the weight and the guilt of all of the fall of humanity into sin upon the head of one woman, Eve. And all women after that. So you can imagine Paul as a pastor going here, I just took a two by four and just absolutely hurt someone. And he does, in a sense, offer hope. Because what he says is, and what I believe 15 is saying, is not you won't be saved by childbearing, but even through the pain of childbearing. Even, even, even the curse can be overcome by the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15. That Christ, who would come through Eve... His perfection, His holiness, the the beauty of His perfect blood is enough to even cover all the sin of humanity, including even the sin of woman. That you too, in a sense Eve, you too, daughters of Eve, can be saved even though the guilt of the sin seems so heavy. Oh no. The glory of the gospel is seen clearly not only in the roles of men and women, but in the difference between men and women. And it is even manifested through the work of Christ. We could even turn and I'll do so and read for you Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5, where we see that from the seed of the woman at the appointed time, Christ came. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In many ways, the, the fact that Eve and women after her would submit themselves to God's physiological design of bearing children, propagating a godly seed, is the understanding that Christ and His glory and His saving work on the cross of Jesus Christ, His blood ransoming us from our sin, is enough to allow women to walk out that submissiveness by submitting themselves to the fact that God has created them to bear life and nurture it. And therefore, as they submit themselves to the grace of God and obey God, submitting to God and even submitting to their husband and bearing life and nurturing it, it's a, it's a sign of, then, their belief, 
their understanding of God's saving grace through Christ. And it's, it's a, it's not justification here. It's a fruit of the justification. It's a fruit of the fact that as they submit themselves, and notice it says, if they continue, if they continue to walk out their faithfulness, their, their convincedness, in love and holiness with self-control. As they continue to submit themselves to the way God designed them. So if we just go back these last word, this last word, self-control, that, that's what he's been talking about. Even in verse 8 through 10 of 1 Timothy 2. That women, the way you conduct yourself should be in like kind to the way God has created you. And therefore, even the modesty or self-control, submissiveness, is, is what God has created. Sin has corrupted that. But as we strive for that, by faith, trusting in Christ and His the grace given to us through Christ, by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. It can be done. And therefore, as you women will do that, by God's grace, the gospel is more clearly seen in your marriage. As you submit yourself, women, maybe you're single, maybe you're a single mom, if you'll submit yourself to the church. And let not only fathers be fathers within the home, but also church fathers, elders, care for you. The gospel will be seen more clearly. So, I trust that by God's grace, as we... Take this passage and we go back to Genesis and begin to sort of wipe the slate clean and begin to rethink how God has actually created us. He will give us grace to encounter not the hypotheticals. Let's not drag out hypotheticals. Let's not drag out all the what ifs. Let's take what may be going on in actually your life and let's begin to work through that as to how do we apply the truth of God's word to these specific roles in my life that are real, not just what ifs. And I know that he will gain much glory as we seek to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's with joy that we have submitted ourselves to your word. Again, Father, not um, not a popular message by any stretch. Not an easy message to understand by any stretch. Many questions. This grates against Every man and woman's sinful nature. But it's your word and it's good. And the way you have designed us and the order and and all of uh, the idiosyncrasies of the differences between men and women are, are good because they're designed by you. So give us just the grace to to slow down our racing thoughts and, and to thank you for the uniqueness and glory of your creation. And as we would submit ourselves to your word, we trust that you will empower us with your spirit to see more clearly how to make application of the truth of it. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.